In the morning, when you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Yankees have scored one run in the last three games. Lost all three of those games. Uh, Adam, you have come on this show when the Yankees were winning about 75% of their games and told us they're not this good. You came on the show last week as the Yankees have been struggling for a little while now and said, hey, they're not this bad. Uh, You still believe the Yankees aren't this bad? I do believe they're not this bad. They are 8-17 and since the All-Star break, according to Katie Sharp. And the only teams with the worst record are the Pirates and the Tigers. So at some (laughs) point, you are what your record says you are. So they do need to make some moves. And frankly, even GM Brian Cashman has acknowledged that. Uh, Estevan Florial and Oswaldo Cabrera, a couple of farmhands. Florial, former top, top prospect for the Yankees, are coming up. Uh, If you are promoting kids to one of the three most expensive rosters in baseball that was at one point the prohibitive World Series favorite, something is not right. So they're not this bad, but they're playing like it right now. I guess it's possible that there could be a collapse by the Astros or Yankees, but most likely those two teams are going to get the buys. Those two teams are going to have home field in the ALDS. How confident are you right now that the Yankees are going to be playing in the ALCS with a shot to go to the World Series? Wasn't it you just uh, about a week ago who made the case to me that it's better to be in the number two seed than it is the number one seed because of how the matchups shake out? So you're on board with this? Well, I have to be now because now the Yankees <laughs> are probably locked into the second seed. Hey, if the Astros have to keep playing the great managerial mind of Tony La Russa, they might lose a lot too and fall oh, to the two oh, seed. Oh, did you, did you guys already talk about the fan who, yeah, who yelled at La Russa? We, we did, but we can do it again because it was phenomenal because... Well, Tony La Russa waited. There was a mound meeting. He had like 60 seconds to decide if he wanted to pinch run, and it didn't cross his mind until a fan yelled at him to pinch run for a slow guy on second base. And the best part, Adam, last night, I can't remember what inning it was in, but the same pinch runner got used, and the White Sox fans like started cheering when that when Adam Engel came in the game to pinch run again. So I'm guessing that fan was again sitting next to the White Sox dugout telling Tony La Russa who to pinch run. If I were the opposing team for every home game from here to the end of the season, I would be either giving my seats to or buying tickets to for that guy and putting him right next to Tony La Russa to heckle him the entire game. <laughs> home and road. Oh, can't, are you proud of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're proud of yourself. Yeah, Fox backs me. Wow. Well, and to be honest, to be honest. No, 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 that's enough. That's enough. Next question, please. Zach Wilson had successful knee surgery. He could play in week one against the Ravens. It'll be pushing the uh, short end of his timeline to return from his bone bruise and torn meniscus. If not, Joe Flacco would start in week one against the Ravens. Are you excited for Joe Flacco revenge game? Did you hear Jets head coach Robert Sala talking up Joe Flacco last week? Oh, no, but now I'm excited to hear it. Is it yeah, worse? Sala, than, uh, Sala's talking about him as a legitimate quality NFL starter. <laughs> Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco. We, we've seen enough of Joe Flacco. Like, listen, man, 
you can't try to sell me that week old donut up on the shelf and tell me it's the best donut you've ever had. Like we've seen it sitting there for a week. Nobody wanted it then. Nobody wants it now. So no, don't try to sell me on Joe Flacco as the starting quarterback of any of 32 NFL teams. My only hope, Tyler, I hope Zach Wilson gets to go stay close to home for his rehab. So maybe, you know, maybe some, oh. maybe some of the family oh. or family friends can help nurse him back to health. His family friends reported maybe that is why. There were a lot of people wondering why he left New York to go to California to get this. But I think we know now. It's closer I, to Utah. It's closer to Utah and his mom's friends. That we feel like we have three starting quarterbacks. But we got all the faith in the world in Mike White. Got all the faith in the world in uh, Joe Flacco. And then you got Strebler showing that he can ball too. So really like our quarterback room. Look at Jared. Good job, Jared. All right, Aaron Rodgers is apparently not happy with his young receivers. His quote, the young guys, especially the young receivers, we've got to be way more consistent. A lot of drops, a lot of bad route decisions, running the wrong route. We've got to get better in that area. He also was explaining away some of Jordan Love's. He threw three interceptions in their preseason game. Explaining away some of those interceptions, saying one was a drop, another was one where he probably shouldn't have thrown the ball, but the receivers ran the wrong routes. So he's out here defending Jordan Love by throwing his young receivers under the bus. And if you read into it, he's not talking about Alan Lazard. Sammy Watkins isn't young. You can pretty much put the target on Romeo Dobbs back, uh, the rookie wideout from Nevada. So I guess we know what tomorrow's headline is going to be, right, Tyler? Romeo Dobbs announces he's vaccinated. <laughs> Listen, the only memory I have of Romeo Dobbs is him just streaking down the field at Allegiant Stadium and catching about four deep balls for touchdowns against UNLV. He was as open as any receiver has ever been in life. And uh, yeah, so I, I was super excited about him getting drafted by the Packers, thinking, oh yeah, this guy's going to be, you know, the uh, the fantasy and betting sleeper of the year. No, no, he's gotten all the hype this preseason. Oh. Wait, are you, that's are you what Aaron Rodgers is knocking down. Oh, that's what's happening? Are you in a dynasty league that's already drafted? No, 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 no. I was more thinking like this guy is going to be the player prop machine of the year where like his ah. first, you know, his first week line is going to be like over under two and a half catches. And you're like, okay, I think he <laughs> might be the guy. Step back one legged. What kind of shot is that? Have you ever shot that shot? Do you work on that shot? Win. The Pirates Rodolfo Castro was suspended one game for having his cell phone in his pocket. Uh, if you remember from last week, he was sliding into third base and his cell phone popped right out of his pocket. Um, it is a violation to have technology on the field. Jeff Passan reported that there were some general managers that actually wanted him to be suspended for more than one game, but that Major League Baseball um, basically looked into it and that there was no evidence that he used his phone during the game, that he just had it in his pocket. So they ultimately came to the decision to suspend him for just a single game, which I I feel is harsh. His phone just fell out of his pocket. It was kind of funny, and now he's got to miss a game because of it. Wow, I can't imagine that you, Tyler yeah. Bischoff, Astros fan, have no trouble with the potential for electronic communications on the field to be used for nefarious purposes. What's That's wrong so with that? interesting. What's wrong? What? What? I don't know. I don't know what is what is wrong with that. We could spend a while discussing that. I think the most interesting part of this story is that. 
apparently Rob Manfred has the power to get into phones. Like he has yeah. more power than the FBI. <laughs> like the FBI can't break into a phone when there's a mass shooting to take a look at the history, right? But Major League Baseball can require players to show what was going on with their phones. Like I think there are probably some players. You know, remember Manny Ramirez back in the day when he got caught, you know, liking pictures of scantily clad women on Instagram in the middle of a game. Like that—that's the kind of thing that a lot of players might not want uh, being seen on their phones. So I found it very interesting that uh, Rob Manfred is more big brother than the government. So if you have your phone pop out of your pocket, do you need to make sure you step on it so it's broken beyond use and Rob Manfred can't get into it? If you're a professional baseball player who can replace that phone easily, absolutely. 100%. You need to treat it like a burner from the wire. Just toss that thing in the trash. Stomp it. Uh, you know, I can't tell you that. BYU signed a five-year deal to create BYU Athletic NFTs. Uh, there's an NFT company. The CEO of that company predicted BYU is going to make $20 million from this. Uh, BYU fans, and I guess anybody, would be able to buy and sell BYU NFTs that'll look kind of like playing cards. I guess it's similar to like NBA Top Shot. Um, is there any way BYU makes $2 million, let alone $20 million from this? Well, here's the fun part someone's going to make a lot of money off this. I'm not sure if it's going to be BYU making a lot of money off this. The secondary market for this could become very interesting because what BYU has done, what I'm sure some smart people who operate in this space understand, is there's going to be a demand. There is a market for all things BYU athletics among the LDS community, and there's going to be a market of people who understand that there is a market for all things like this in the LDS community. So... Like I said, I think that there are going to be people selling these and maybe reselling these, and not all of them are going to be BYU fans. Yeah, I'm a little curious how BYU makes money as somebody who has NFTs that are fake chickens and horses and they race each other. Generally, how this works is like the people, like people create the NFT and then they sell it, and generally they sell them relatively cheap, but they sell a lot of them and they make a bunch of money. And then if your NFT is successful, the people who bought them cheap are the ones that sell them for a lot of money and make money. So I'm kind of curious how BYU actually makes money because I think you're spot on. The P if there is the demand for this, anybody who buys them up front from BYU and then is able to resell them because a lot of BYU fans want it for some reason, they're the ones that would make a lot of money. I don't know exactly where BYU makes $20 million on because they're going to make a card of Zach Wilson's mom's friend, and that one is going to be sold for $11 billion. Daddy had a breakaway. All right, you got to tell me if you think this is the best NIL deal in college sports. Uh, Nebraska has a wide receiver who just transferred in from LSU. His name is DeColdis. His first name is DeColdis. Last name is Crawford. He signed an NIL deal and is in a commercial for an air conditioning company in Lincoln, Nebraska. I could not be happier than I am in this moment. <laughs> I feel like the idea of name, image, and likeness has reached its zenith with the idea that a young man with a name that was built for advertising is being paid to advertise. Oh, so many years of college athletes going without compensation is being made up for and what I really would like, uh, what I'm challenging some bored person out there to do is to get a directory 
of all of the NIL deals in all of college sports right now. I need to be able to scroll through and see if there's anything that compares to DeColdis getting the AC deal. Um, one other fact on DeColdis Crawford, his middle name is Juan, so his name is the coldest one. I love it. 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 I love it so very much. Good. I like this good, good job. Good job, Crawford family. Good job, Decoldis, getting the bag. I'm happy for everybody. It's very good. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some Major League Baseball because the Padres had to suspend Fernando Tatis' bobblehead day. Swing and a fly ball down the left field line. Back at it goes Benintendi to the wall, and it is gone! Randy Arozarena with another first-inning three-run home run. And the Rays take a 3-0 lead here in the Bronx early. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition featuring Adam Candy. That damn guy. Adam and our joint hate. We have joint hate for Randy Arozarena, and he still exists. He's still annoying, isn't he? Rice Aroni hit a three run homer in the first inning last night. It stood up for the entire game. Yankees pitchers, after the first inning of the game last night, allowed one hit in eight innings, and they <laughs> lost. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, in the world of baseball, Fernando Tatis got handed an 80-game suspension after testing positive for a banned substance. And as a result, the Padres, who are supposed to have a Fernando Tatis bobblehead giveaway in September, have now changed that. And instead, it'll be a Juan Soto jersey giveaway. So no bobblehead giveaway for the guy suspended for steroids, which, by the way, leads me to this question. What are they doing with all those bobbleheads? Because you know they're done, right? You know they've got them already made. They're ready to go. Are they just holding on to like 10, 15,000 bobbleheads for another year? Well, first of all, they need to properly readjust those bobbleheads for the skin condition, right? They need to make sure they reflect the ringworm uh, that Fernando Tatis Jr. was fighting when he took that, uh, when he took that steroid that... We've already heard from dermatologists actually makes ringworm way, way, way worse. So, you know, maybe they are just going to hold on to them, store them somewhere in downtown San Diego until they're safe to bring back out again. And according to, did you hear his dad? According to Fernando Tati Sr., it's a tragedy that he got suspended, but we shouldn't kill his reputation over it. No, of course not. Why would we? By, by the, okay, let me ask you this on, on Tatis. Do you believe that he has played a game while taking Clostaball, whatever it is that he got tested positive for? Or do you believe, as I've seen people argue, that, well, he hadn't played this year, so he hasn't actually taken steroids when he played game. He hasn't actually taken PEDs when playing. That was just a this year thing. That is a flat, stupid take. A, the idea that you would have to be actually playing in a game when taking the banned substance for it to matter. I mean, think about the whole HGH discussion that we went through years ago. Andy Pettit took HGH, and Andy Pettit took HBH, HGH to help him recover faster from an injury. He used the substance that was banned to try to get back on the field faster. So it's not a matter of did this directly enhance your performance. When we talk about training for a sport, you don't become a stronger, faster, better football player in October. You become that player in March and in June. That's when the performance enhancing actually matters. So I'm curious this question because I don't know that it matters as so much to me, but I wonder for players that get uh, caught and they test positive for something, the large majority of them, 
have an excuse. They have a reason as to why. Well, I, I wasn't cheating. It was in this ointment or it was in this food. I Whatever. They have some sort of excuse as to why they tested positive. Do you think it matters if players come out with an excuse versus if players would just come out and basically own up to it and say, yep, I was taking that. I, it was a mistake and I'll, you know, move on and learn from this. Like, does it matter to you if players own up to it right away after they test positive? No, it really doesn't. It doesn't. And, you know, Joe Sheehan, the baseball writer formerly of SI, has made a point to say that these uh, performance-enhancing substance pops, these suspensions, tend to disproportionately affect some of the Hispanic players in Major League Baseball. And I think that's something that's worth taking under consideration as well because some of the excuses might not just be excuses some of them might be real now do i buy it with fernando tatis jr and the ringworm situation not for a second uh but when it comes to do i think that there should be some sort of you know standard we apply to it when it comes to that no because of this what can money buy you can buy you help money can always buy you assistance it can always buy you people to do things for you, to help you with things, to be your assistant, to be the person who calls the doctor and make sure that nothing in that subscription, that uh, prescription that was prescribed to you is going to contain a banned substance. You have money if you're a professional athlete. Money buys you help. Teams have staffs dedicated to these things. You always had a way to avoid it. You've got it wrong. It's not uh, that you have money to get people to tell you if this has a banned substance in it or not. You have money to get people to help you say, this does have a banned substance, and here's how you're going to not test positive. Why have you not been hired by the Astros yet? Well, like, I, I feel like... I don't, I don't know the answers to these questions. I just know the general template for what you need to be doing. I can get you some clean pee. <laughs> That's Tyler, have you ever seen the movie The Program? No, I have not. Jared, have you ever seen the movie The Program? Yes, yes, I have. Okay, we need to we need to find the right clip to just send Tyler the oil change and let him see how you're going to acquire that clean pee. I'm scared for the transaction that apparently is going to occur to get this clean pee. You, can you just, should be. It's on your list of sports movies that you should have watched by now. Eh, there, I don't think there's any movies I should have watched by now. What was the last sports movie you watched? Sports movie? I have no idea. Was it the Giannis uh, story on Disney Plus? I didn't actually watch that. I had a couple friends tell me the Adam Sandler basketball movie on Netflix was worth watching, but I still haven't actually watched that either. Yeah, I feel like the recommendations I've gotten for that movie have all come from non-sports fans. And anytime that happens, anytime my friends who are not like super into sports or just kind of casuals who might show up at a Golden Knights game now and then, like when I get those recommendations on movies, I'm like, oh, these are going to be the sports movies I watch where I'm like, yeah, that's not right. Okay, that's not real. Okay, that's garbage. <laughs> like, I don't want to frustrate myself if I'm actually going to take the time to watch a movie. I, I cannot think of the last sports movie I watched. I, I don't know. Does, Ted, does the season one of Ted Lasso count, even though it's not a movie? No, because it's a movie. That's all. It's a, I didn't ask you what is the last TV show you streamed. That, that was just, the whole point. I'm just, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. What's a recent sports movie that even came out? I don't have any idea. No, it doesn't even have to be a recent sports know, movie. It's just to be a movie about, like, it could be Hoosiers for all I care. I like, have not watched Hoosiers. That did not happen recently. I would I like know. a Tyler Bischoff breakdown of the picket fence. 
Yeah, Jared's been asking for this for years because Ed Ed Graney loves Hoosiers like way oh, too course. much. Right. So he Jared's been asking me to come break it down and tell tell Ed why his favorite movie's not any good or something like that. Well, uh, there, there's a Jimmy Chitwood earnestness to Ed Graney that fits so well. Like, there's <laughs> no doubt that that's an Ed Graney movie without without question. Okay. Uh, there's yes. a basketball scene where there are f- four out of five players on the court are not moving. <laughs> right. It was shot in 2022 in the NBA. What do you mean? Yeah, I'm, I was going to say, I'm trying to watch this UNLV loss to British Columbia, and that's their entire offense. Four guys don't do anything. All right. Fair enough. Fair Which, enough. by the way, what I've been doing during the show is I have UNLV losing to British Columbia on my TV, trying to figure out how the hell they lost to British Columbia. How did did you have to do some sort of illicit transaction with a Canadian person who snuck a video camera into this game? Like how how else were you able to get uh, film of this? No, no, UNLV posted it to their YouTube channel. Uh, okay, All right. yeah, even, even in a loss, they posted it to their YouTube channel. So I'm moderately excited about that. Like it's a good thing. It's better than listen. When Marvin Menzies was the coach here, they went on a foreign tour. They played in I can't remember what country they were playing in, but none of their games were streamed online. And when I asked the guy who was running the little foreign tournament why, he said because UNLV asked for them not to be streamed. So at least Kevin Kruger's not hiding his team like Marvin Menzies did. Marvin Menzies had every reason to hide his team. <laughs> Kevin Kruger might too. They just lost to British Columbia. I, I'm not going to worry about them losing to British Columbia in August. If they lose to British Columbia in November, we have a problem. Listen, we'll get more into this in the Bischoff's briefs, but I think it might be it might be a concern. Not not a very good showing. Um, I do have one last question for you on Fernando Tatis, though. Actually, more about the Padres. They don't get Tatis back this year. They did trade for Juan Soto. Are they good enough that they could essentially like do what the Braves did last year and get hot at the right time and win the World Series, or are they kind of a hopeless playoff team? I need to know how you, Darvish and Blake Snell are going to pitch. Are they going to be healthy? Are they going to be there in the playoffs? Because this team doesn't have the horses pitching-wise to get it done unless those guys are at the front of the rotation along with Joe Musgrove. I mean, Joe Musgrove, let's keep in mind, Joe Musgrove was acquired from the Pirates as an afterthought before last season and has turned into an ace who got a contract extension. It was you, Darvish, who was supposed to be the guy. It was Blake Snell acquired from Tampa, who was supposed to be the guy, and now they traded Mackenzie Gore, their top prospect, as part of the Soto deal. So the Astro, um, the Astros, the Padres, if they don't get their pitching together, are not going to be the Braves. All right, coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but it is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Hello, Jason. How are you today? I am so stinking spectacular. How are you? I'm great. How was your vacation? You know what? It was very needed. I'm not going to lie. Felt good to unplug for a little bit, drink way too much, and uh, sort of recharge. Now I'm ready for football season. I got all this pent-up energy now. All right. Do you think Darren Waller's ready for football season, or is he going to go to more Aces game instead? I mean, it's a curious – like, to be real, it's a curious look. Like, I think – if, if everybody had that to do over again, if he's going to go, like, maybe don't make him, you know, the Jack Nicholas and the whole thing. Like, I, I don't know what, what the thought process is behind that. I have no concern 
that Darren Waller is going to be healthy. Uh, but it is sort of wild, the, the optics of that. Sometimes I just wonder if everybody involved, the teams, like, you're not sitting courtside unless people understand that you're doing it. So I don't think it's any big up yours to the organization. I just think a lot of people had to sign up. It's like when a bad song gets released and you ask yourself, how many people had to listen to a bad song and decide it wasn't bad? How many people had to read this bad idea and decide it wasn't bad to make it happen? Bad optics. Is it just that, though? I mean, is it just optics? Because when it comes to Darren Waller, we are talking about one of the five best players at his position, someone who, when we talk about the potential for this Raiders offense, really, it's hard to extricate him from Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro. It feels like the three of them together are sort of that, you know, nuclear reactor core that is at the center of all the chances. Yeah, well, no doubt. I think Darren Waller is going to have a massive year. Look, I think the Raiders, having not extended Darren Waller at this point, is going to turn out to be a big mistake financially because I keep going back to watching film last year with Ryan Clark and Dan Orlovsky watching breakdowns of the Chiefs. And one of the things that they pointed out is pre-snap, you watch the entire secondary of everybody that faced the Chiefs adjust to where they think Tyreek Hill is going, which creates the openings for Travis Kelsey. It's part of the reason I think Kelsey, even though he's going to get more numbers, more catches this year, I think his job is going to be much more difficult. Well, if I'm Darren Waller, I know that everybody's going to be cheating to try and compensate for Devontae. That's a part of this that I don't think we're talking enough about. Like, Waller's going to be able to just squeeze in underneath and find little little, uh, holes in the the zone all over the place about 10 yards downfield. He's going to have a massive year. So, frankly, the Raiders are going to have to pay more for him by not having already done the deal. But there's no way, in my mind, if this was a statement to the organization about not paying him, if there was any concerns about that, then there's no way the Aces, who are owned by the same group, are going to let him sit where he sat knowing that this is that, that's what we're dealing with. I don't think this is a big contract issue, and I'm going to trust that the health is going to be just fine. That's going to be a part of it none of us know, but i got to believe that Darren Waller is going to be in shape and it's not going to be a big deal. We haven't seen him at practice. I think we're getting close to three weeks. He did tell Paul Gutierrez last week that he thought he'd be back this week at practice, but do you uh, subscribe to the theory that if he was holding in, if he was in fact missing practice because he wants a new contract, that we would know that publicly that he or his agent would have told somebody in the media or maybe just tweeted himself to let people know, hey, I want a new contract and that's why I'm not at practice? No, I don't think that necessarily. Like, I think there's a lot of intelligence to not doing that because, frankly, what you're trying to do is figure out a new contract without getting yourself in a situation where you fracture the relationship. So the smartest way to negotiate is quietly, in my opinion. So especially if you genuinely want to be there. I, I think the hold-in, though, like there's no reason to hide that under the guise of injury. Where, where it does get a little curious is if I'm a player and I'm holding in, what I don't want to do is have this perception grow that I have a, a battling injury issues, that that's part of you know the, the track for him, remembering he missed several games last year. So you know I, I think a player or his representation would step out and say, hey, he's not hurt. So the fact that we haven't heard that means to me that they're just being super cautious bringing him back. And I, I also think, guys, we've got to understand the preseason more and more, given the, the year-round calendar of the NFL, is being treated with less and less importance. So we're going to see sloppy bad football across the entire NFL for the first three weeks because the NFL has turned through their collective bargaining process, the preseason, into a joke where a bunch of players stand around and have some camaraderie and enjoy themselves, but nobody gets better at football. If your team can't tackle, preseason's not going to help that at all. 
So, Jason, then what as a Raiders fan, as a football fan, what are you watching for in preseason when we see games coming on onto the field that otherwise would have you know no level of competition for us to care about? Yes, I think the only thing you can take away, like I, I look at a Vikings Raiders matchup that meant so little, but I can look at it and say, okay. Now you know the depth is a real issue on the defensive line because guess what? Whether it's our backups versus their backups or our backups versus their starters, either way, this team got run all over against Minnesota, right? So now you're looking at it and saying, okay, I understand that there is not enough depth in the interior defensive line. I understand that even though Colton Miller coming back is going to make the line a little better, uh, the, the right side of the offensive line has Absolutely no depth. I think those are the things you can look for. You know, are guys separating it away from the backups that makes you feel like when inevitably in a 17-game, 18-week season you need to go to your bench? Do you have the bench to do it? I think the Raiders have some concern on both lines. Like, I laugh when I think about how often we're told that often that, that great football teams are built from the inside out. Not this one, y'all. Like, this one is, is really good from the outside, <laughs> but on the inside can be really challenging. So we've talked to you about this throughout the entire offseason. How surprised are you that we are less than a month away from game one and the Raiders still have not added anything to their offensive linemen outside of a mid-round pick in Dylan Parham? Yeah, I'm stunned at this point. And I will say this. It tells you they don't believe in anybody on the street because if they did, I think they already would have brought them in. I'm looking at the waiver wire, and specifically this is what we do when teams come from different organizations. But you got to feel like if the Patriots cut anybody – then on the offensive line side, then we're going to get a real side, uh, a real insight into what this coaching staff in front office thinks of them. They've got to be looking at the waiver wire. I don't think the offensive line can go in this way. On the defensive line, I can look at it and say, okay, I still believe that they're giving everybody the chance to tell them not to sign in Damakasu, but if it doesn't work out, I, mean, I still think they're going to sign him. They don't need camp with him. But on the offensive line, there aren't uh, solutions out there that I think make a ton of sense. And that means the Raiders are going to take the Bengals-like approach this year of just saying, okay, let's just see if we can survive our quarterback getting murdered every time he drops back. We talked earlier, Jason, about uh, a piece that appeared in the local paper about the running back depth and the Raiders being excited about running back depth. And Tyler and I both said, you know, it's all well and good to have depth at, at running back uh, for protection, but if you're talking about – and then we'll take one of these guys and trade him for a pick or trade him for an offensive lineman. We're not going to be able to keep all, all of these running backs and build a full roster in the NFL. So when you look and you see the Raiders excited about Jacobs and Zamir White and Brandon Bolden and Kenyon Drake and Amir Abdullah, does that also excite you? Or, or are you just kind of saying, okay, what are we doing with all of these guys? Yeah, I mean, I think great depth is, is part of the conversation, particularly at the running back position. Anybody that played fantasy last year knows how important depth is because, man, it feels like every running back went down over the last two years. But I don't think most – other than Josh Jacobs, I'm not sure any of those guys have real trade value. And, frankly, uh, you know, this is what we always do. We presume that our favorite team has somebody that has incredible value on the trade market. But if you take the other side of it, like – if you were a Raiders fan, how excited today would be you be for you know trading assets to get Kenyon Drake, who may be on the chopping block anyway, and you don't need to trade for him. You can get out of the contract, do something new. Josh Jacobs is a little bit similar. Like Maybe you want to bring him in the building because your hope is that you're going to be able to put yourself in a situation where if you love him, you can work out a long-term deal. But I, I just don't think running backs have the trade value that's going to bring much in return. So the good news is, yeah, you'll be able to turn and burn all season, and you don't have to worry about fresh legs. And I think there's 
real to all of that. You can ride the hot hand every single week. Those are all very real things. So it's a, it's a glorious spot to be in. But far more likely that these guys are cut, or if they are traded, they're traded for conditional seventh-round picks. And I don't think there's a lot of glory in a seventh-round pick next year. Like, that's not, that doesn't make me feel any better about the gauntlet of the AFC this year. All right, true or false, Darren Waller uh, skipped the chain of command and went straight to Mark Davis to ask for permission to go to the Aces game instead of the Raiders game. Okay, maybe true, but if it's a hold-in and there's a money issue, do we really believe that Mark's like, yeah, that's cool, man? Like, I, 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 <laughs> I know that we like, because of the haircut, it's because of the haircut. We all like to question a lot about Mark Davis, to which I say, the guy managed to move a franchise. Not only when he moved the franchise, did he get a city to essentially pay for a $2 billion stadium for him. He changed the Forbes valuation of the franchise, what, what, triple what it was when he inherited it. Like, and at the same time, he did at one point bring a coach out of retirement nobody ever thought that he could get. And when that, obviously, for big reasons, went haywire, he turned around and got the coach that everybody wants every single year. Like, we keep pre- presuming because of the haircut and the eating of the wings that Mark Davis is just sitting over in the dunce corner getting lucky, I'm not, I'm not presuming that anymore. Like, for somebody that has not had to work a normal 9-to-5 any day in his life, he's figured out a lot that I haven't figured out. You know, maybe, maybe it's Kardashian, like, I don't know, but he's sitting on billions of dollars at this point, and every time we doubt the franchise, he manages to get it done. So I have a hard time believing that Mark sat there and was like, yeah, that's a good idea, even though we haven't worked out his contract and you're not practicing and there's contention in money. Let's just have you sit courtside at the Aces game. I, got, I have a hard time putting those two things together. How many chicken wings does he eat during a Raiders game? Do you think he just eats like four or five, or is he pounding back like 25 during a game? Oh, he's definitely unaware of the fact that everybody else wanted wings, so he, he <laughs> eats the whole first platter. And then he orders a second platter that he offers to share with people, but he's still, like, he's the guy that goes in and takes all the flats off the plate right away, so then you're stuck with the decision of eating the wing instead of the flat. We all know that that's messier, right? Like, I, I, I feel like Mark Davis is definitely a selfish wing eater. There's no doubt. Like, and he's, like, he's taking the vat of blue cheese, and he's taking that for himself, too. Like, you better order a second dressing, for sure. Uh, do you think, by the way, from something you said a moment ago, do you think that is the first time Mark Davis and Kardashian have been used in the same sentence? Look, I, I, I hope so. I'd like to think that, you know, maybe I've uh, unleashed the beast here, but I, uh-huh. I laugh okay. all the time. And look, I, I, I know that the Kardashians are easy to laugh at, and a lot of people have a lot to say about them. But I laugh at my buddies when they're like, oh, a bunch of talentless acts. If you have no talent and you can take your family and make them a multi-billion dollar industry, then you have a talent. Like I, that, that in and of itself, I think we'll look back at a case study of reality TV and how the Kardashians broke something that nobody ever thought could be like started, and they turned around and they made billions of dollars from it. Sneaky brilliant. Nobody's stupid enough to be that lucky. Jason Fitz from ESPN. Uh, where are you on the radio today? Just Spain and Fitz tonight? Yeah, yeah, just Spain and Fitz tonight. You know, okay. everything's, everything's getting normal. Just Spain and Fitz, but there'll be chaos starting in a few weeks. I'll tell everybody uh, then when we know all the shows, tell everybody where they can hang out with me. All right, Jason. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. <laughs> You're the best. Have a great week. So there is Jason Fitz. Coming up next, we'll jump back. We've got to be way more consistent. You know, a, lot of, a lot of drops, a lot of bad route decisions, run the wrong route. So we've got to, we got to get better in that area. 
Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Featuring Adam Candy. Adam Candy in today for Ed Graney. We'll catch up with Ed tomorrow as he is out at Raiders practice the next couple of days. In the meantime, talk a little bit about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is going into the final year of his rookie contract, so he doesn't have anything, uh, any contract, any long-term commitment after this season. He was asked this week if he had a deadline for negotiating a new contract with the Ravens. And Jackson said, yeah, we're coming up to it. It's coming up. Season's coming up. We're going to be good for the season. Relatively vague, but you can read into that, that he might be saying that he won't negotiate his contract once the season actually starts. And Adam, here's a question that I'm, I'm kind of interested in because the Ravens, they drafted Lamar Jackson and then they... They went out of their way to build the offense around him more than I think most teams would have, more than most teams actually tend to do for their quarterback. They tend to sort of try to force some stuff onto their quarterback more so than just build everything around him. And that has allowed Lamar Jackson to be tremendous, as has Lamar Jackson's actual personal talent and ability. And so my question is, with this contract negotiation, who needs the other more? Does Lamar Jackson need the Ravens more, or do the Ravens need Lamar Jackson more? I don't say this to you. I say this to the general idea of the question. This isn't even close. This isn't a competition. The Ravens need Lamar Jackson far more than Lamar Jackson needs the Raiders, uh, the Ravens. I believe that Lamar Jackson might be one of the most misunderstood and probably least respected players in the NFL for the level of talent that he brings to the game. The Ravens were the number one seed in the AFC up until the beginning of December last year. That's when Lamar Jackson got hurt. Now, the idea has always been, well, can you commit to a running quarterback long-term, right? Is he going to be healthy? Those were the first four games for injury that Lamar Jackson had missed in two years. Like, Lamar Jackson has stayed healthy as a running quarterback. And then you say, well, he can't throw the ball, right? He's a, he's, he's a runner. Like, what, what is he supposed to do to, to elevate the offense, right? Okay. In the first four years of Lamar Jackson's career, here's the ranking of how much Baltimore has invested in its receivers by salary cap. Okay. In 2019, 27th, then 28th, 22nd, and 2022, they spent... The 32nd, they have spent the least on receivers of anyone in the NFL. At some point, you got to give the guy help. At some point, Lamar Jackson needs somebody to throw the ball to. So in all of this discussion of, well, they built the whole offense around him, John Harbaugh is not stupid. Greg Roman's not stupid. They did that for a reason. They absolutely knew what they had with Lamar Jackson, who is still maybe the single most fear feared open field threat in the NFL. So I don't understand the idea that Lamar Jackson needs the Ravens. Lamar Jackson will get paid if he gets the free agency. So if, if they don't agree to a deal uh, before the season starts, and if Lamar Jackson, if what he's saying is, yeah, I'm not going to negotiate this once the season starts, obviously that, that opens up the chance that the Ravens could lose Lamar Jackson. But if we go with the assumption they end up signing him anyways, do you think that, that the Ravens, benefit from signing him now like would it cost them more money more money to sign him after the season or is it ultimately going to be the same dollar amount whether they do it now or once the season's over 
well, here's where the speculation gets fun, right? Because we're very used to, in these situations, knowing what the ballpark figures are. Why, as media and as fans, do we know that? We know that because you have the Schefters and Rappaports of the world who have attached themselves for biological survival to agents. Well, <laughs> Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. Lamar Jackson is his own agent. Who's going to leak us contract figures? We have no idea whether it would cost more to sign him next offseason than it would to sign him now because there's no one to leak figures. Now, I think you can look at the top five quarterback contracts and say Lamar Jackson's not taking anything less than that, nor should he take anything less than that. It, Lamar Jackson being his own agent might also be the reason that we're sitting here wondering, well, is this going to get done before the year, right? The agent relationships with front offices matter. And they matter not just because of getting things done in a timely manner. They matter because these are the relationships that are going to be maintained over the course of years, right? Players come and go, but agents and general managers, they're there for careers. And so they're the ones who tend to say, hey, you know what? For both our sakes here, we need to get something done. Well, Lamar Jackson's his own agent. Lamar Jackson's only going to do something that benefits him, not something that benefits the Ravens or his agent. Uh, do you think he needs to hire Roquan Smith's agent, St. Omni, who is not certified by the NFLPA? I think Lamar Jackson will do just fine as his own agent because when you're a quarterback in the NFL, you don't need to do anything other than point to the sheet that has the list of top quarterback salaries and say, if you're paying that guy, you're paying me. Uh, I very much love the Roquan Smith story that, he, that somebody is calling NFL teams named St. Omni who is not certified by the NFLPA as an agent, and there had to be a memo sent out to NFL teams to say, hey, only talk to certified agents. This guy is not a certified agent. Meanwhile, Lamar Jackson's probably going to do just fine on his own without an agent, and he doesn't need St. Omni or anybody else. I guess I, I am like, I don't know, I just feel like if you're the Ravens, you could are, you could make the argument to yourself that it could benefit you to wait. Obviously, you could lose him in free agency, but I don't know that Lamar Jackson becomes more expensive if he has another MVP season, right? Like, he, if he's great, he's great. I guess I just, it, to me, the, that timeline might be more about Lamar Jackson and maybe about free agency than actual how much money he's going to get from the Ravens. No, I don't know that it's going to make a huge difference in terms of that. But what it does, Tyler, is it leaves this whole offseason open and really during the season through back channels for teams that Lamar Jackson might be more interested in playing for to make clear that they'll make room for him. I think most of the NFL expects that this deal is going to get done. But if it becomes clear that somehow the Ravens and the front office of the franchise and Lamar Jackson have not been able to come together, I think you're opening up a Pandora's box that you don't need to open up. You have a franchise quarterback. You have one of the top five quarterbacks in the league when healthy. Don't screw it up. Are you suggesting other teams might tamper with a player under contract? I am suggesting that text messaging and emails are real. Uh, no, those have never gotten anybody in trouble. Not once. <laughs>